All right. Well, good morning. This is Super Bowl Sunday. Go Sun Devils. Um, you know, this is the only place in the world where in church the pastor can say, Go Devils. Um, what? Anyway, um, there's a menagerie of uniforms. I think there are a whole bunch of people who don't know who's in the Super Bowl. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's Rams. If, if, if you are wearing something other than uh, Sun Devils, they're in the Super Bowl, right? No, no. If you're wearing something other than uh, Seahawks or Patriots, would you please stand? We want to acknowledge your devotion to the game. In okay. All right. We got... All right. Somebody said to me, I look like Mr. Rogers today. So... Okay. Well, I, I got a T-shirt on underneath. Okay, I'll say everybody. He's got a T-shirt. He's got a T-shirt. All right. Okay. And you can just, you know, bow your head before the Lord. She goes, No, no, don't. All right. <laughs> okay. If you're visiting today, welcome. Um, I'm just here for a few months, and everybody's really glad about that. All right. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for another good day, and we believe that you're going to speak to us today from your word in ways, Lord, that we will never forget. And I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've got nine grandkids, and uh, I think to date, every one of them has played soccer. Okay, I mean, there are a few of them, like... <clears throat> Um, Sammy is only four months. He hasn't played soccer yet. Uh, but his brother has thrown a soccer ball at him, I think. Um, my, uh, my granddaughter in California, Annika, isn't that a cute name, Annika? Uh, she loves sports. She's 5'10". She's 13. Plays basketball. And she's just, she's so cute. But she's so hardy. Uh, she came out of a game... She was playing against a gal who was an African-American gal who was, I think, 6'2 or 6'3. And Ani was guarding her. And she came out of the room uh, with, she came out of there with a concussion and a broken wrist. Uh, and, you know, she was just crying because she couldn't keep playing. And I remember another time she was crying in first grade when she had to come out of a soccer game. Have you ever seen a first grade girls soccer? How many of you have seen like a first grade girls soccer game? Okay, it's not really, it's not really a, a game. It's a scrum of a bunch of girls, you know, first grade girls all running down the field together. And the, the ball is somewhere in the scrum. It squirts out and then they all run after the ball. And then the whole scrum runs with the ball into the goal and the goalie just watches them go by. Okay. <laughs> you, you've seen that, right? And the parents are all screaming, spacing, spacing, and they have no clue what that means. And uh, so Ani came running out of the game. She was crying. Or, she's so competitive. She's just crying. And 
And uh, what's wrong, Ani? What's wrong? My shoe is untied. That was why she was crying. And, uh, you know, they all cry about first grade girls. They all cry about something. And Ani's crying. And, and uh, so she tied her shoe. And I'm sitting there watching the game. My son's at his family. And, and Ani's crying. And she keeps crying. And, and I said, to, I said to the coach, I said, David, tell the coach to put her back in the game. And uh, <clears throat> David just ignored me. And I, I told him again, I said, Dave, tell the coach to put her back in the game. And he turned around and glared at me, and he said, I'm not going to be that kind of a parent. I said, well, I'm going to be that kind of a grandparent. Tell him to put her back in the game. You know, uh, parents are, they're horrible. My... Uh, my nephew was a band director right out of the U of A. He got a band director job at, at uh, one of the big high schools in Tucson. And after a couple of years, he, he just quit. He, he couldn't take it because the parents were so difficult to deal with. And so he came to the Valley. He's been a police officer in the Chandler P- Police Department. And now he's a police officer in Mesa, and that's easier than dealing with the parents of those high school band students. You know, what's wrong with us? We, li- we, live in a, we live in a litigious world. Everybody wants their rights. By the way, I think we got a, just a little bit too much volume, even with the mic here, but we live in a litigious world, and I don't know if you've heard this, and I don't know if it's totally true. You could probably find out on Google, but I've heard that there are more lawyers in the United States than there are in all the other countries added up together. Because we're going to get in our licks. You know, we're, we're going to get our rights. This is a free country. A pastor friend of mine, he was Scottsdale Bible for 25 years. Huge church, elegant church, and uh, they, had a real, they, they had a real parking problem at one time. And so they're double parking cars, you know. And if you've got to get out, you've got to park over here. If you're willing to double park, you've got to go over here. And they had parking lot attendants. And, and uh, some guy drove in with his Beamer or something, you know, and and uh, rolled down his window, and they're t- trying to tell him where to park. And he said, this is a free country. I can park wherever I want, to the, to the parking lot usher at church. And so my friend said he was going to put signs at the entrance to the parking lots. Worship begins here. You know, people connect and disconnect, they get upset about something, you know, you never go to that restaurant again and you never go to that church again. We have no, we have no capacity to work through, through issues. I mean, we sang the song, where's Samson? He, he didn't go out and have donuts, did he? Okay, there he is, you know, the music leaders always go out and have donuts and coffee. But you're a man of God, I can tell. So, he's probably going to sue me for making that public statement now. You know, I mean, it, it's crazy. I was a pastor, you know, f- for 25 years in a big church, and, this, and the way people behaved or misbehaved, it was, it was, it was appalling. Um, I was at the airport in San Diego, and my wife's not here today, so she doesn't like it when I tell this story. So, <clears throat> in her honor, um, I was in, we were in San Diego collecting our luggage, you know, on the, on the carousel, and there's just jammed with people, and uh, we'd flown into San Diego, and 
And uh, there was a family there with two little boys, and they were just leaning over. You know, they were just kind of patting on the suitcases. It was so crowded, you couldn't get in there. And I see my suitcases coming. And I said to the boys, I said, look out, look out. And I turned around, this big dad, he's going to defend his boys. Okay. And he said to me, excuse me. I said, what? He said, you say, excuse me. I guess I wasn't supposed to say, look out, look out. So I told him, I said, excuse me, but you need to teach your children how to respect adults, not teach adults how to respect your children. My, my wife said, <clears throat> let's get out of here. Um, <laughs> but I mean, people are just, just crazy. I mean, they're just like so rude. And it's all, you know, it's all about them. It's all about me. It's all about you. You know, we live in a consumer-driven world. And we've got to have it our way. Um, but I, I want to I help you with something, okay? Um, in case you didn't know, life is not always going to go your way. And uh, if you could pop the first slide up here, and you can uh, let's go and... No, this is from last week. Dude, this is the PowerPoint. You want me to call my lawyer? You got it? You don't have it? What happened? It should be in there, right? Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Um, uh, let's see. Let's sing Puff the Magic Dragon. <clears throat> I'm never coming back to this church. <clears throat> Talk amongst yourselves, okay? Don't stare at me, okay? Because, you know, I'm going to be talking about how to respond in a proper way, and you're all waiting for me, like, to lose it. And I'm really close right now. Anyway. <laughs> Share it. It was good to, of you to share in my troubles. Don't just stare at me with my troubles. It's coming. Okay, here we go. Okay, ten, let's say, nine, seven, six, five, six, five, four, three, seven, 17, 16, 15, 14, 14, uh, 13 and a half, 13. <clears throat> Puff the magic dragon, live by the sea. Okay, okay, here we go. You guys having fun yet? Let's close in prayer. There's a, okay. Okay, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Okay, never a victim. This is it. Okay. And, and this moment illustrates my neck, my first point. Okay, could you pop up the next slide? And I want you to fill in the blank in your notes. Okay. Don't, don't, don't give them a next. 
What? Um, let, let me just get some response from the con. What do you? What do you think goes in there? Okay, some people have it on their on their on their bumper. You know, it's a bumper sticker. Um, stuff happens. Exactly. Okay, let's let's look up. Let's let's look. See what it says. Actually, pain happens. Trouble happens. Sometimes they've got the wrong. They've got the wrong PowerPoint for the pastor. Okay, I mean it's perfect, isn't it? Just perfect. Okay. <laughs> you know, some people do think I plan. Sometimes I don't plan it at all. I just have to go with the flow. Okay, but um, pain happens. Okay, now. I want to make life for you really simple. And, uh, but it is, it's so simple, it's like impossible sometimes. There's really only two ways to respond to whatever happens in your life. Pain, stuff, whatever else. Whatever four-letter word is going through your mind. Okay? There's only, and you can check one that applies in any given situation. Okay, when pain happens, I'm a victim. Or when pain happens, and it should say on there, God has a plan. God has a plan. There's a a mistake, but I think maybe it's correct in your notes. God has a plan. Okay, so here's a really important question. Was Jesus ever a victim? Did you ever hear Jesus say, Oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. I used to be God, you know? And, and it just really upsets me when people are rude at the airport and cut me off on the freeway. You know, was Jesus ever a victim? Okay. Was, was he a victim of circumstances? Was it just like, wow, you know, my life is just so random. Or did everything in the life of Jesus have a purpose? Did he have a destiny? Okay. Uh, in studying the book of Mark, I preached the book of Mark uh, one, one time in my church. And the one thing that is so evident in the book of Mark is this momentum from the opening verse. There's momentum towards the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you read Mark or you read any of the Gospels and you don't have any feeling whatsoever that Jesus was somehow a victim of circumstances. In fact, it tells us in the book of Acts that when Jesus was arrested and beaten and tried under Pontius Pilate and then crucified, it all happened according to the perfect plan of God. How is that possible? Did Jesus like everything about God's design for his life? Okay. Did Jesus like everything about God's design for his life? What's the the answer to that question? No. Uh, Just, if you go to the passage that describes his agony in the garden of Gethsemane. He begged God with tears, with a broken heart, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. Do you like everything that happens to you? Who does? Okay. But nothing in life is random. And either you're a victim, which means that you have no control over your circumstances, but more importantly, you think God has no control over your circumstances or God doesn't have what it takes for you to get through your circumstances. It's either I'm a victim or God's in control and God has a plan. Okay. Um, 
All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, show how everything in the life of Christ point toward his ultimate destiny. Nothing in his life was accidental. Nothing was random. Everything had a purpose. The big question for every one of us is, is this. Does everything in my life have an ultimate purpose? Is everything in my life leading to my destiny? Or I'm a victim of circumstances? Or am I a victim of circumstances? Take this verse, for example. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Does that sound random? Or does it sound purposeful? Okay. Um, question, where do you shop? Okay. Where do you spend your soul money? Okay. Where do you, where do you shop? Where do you spend your soul money? Let's pop the next, uh, where do you spend your soul money? <clears throat> next slide. Victims are us. Okay. Some people spend their whole life shopping in the store. And whenever they talk to their friends, their, their family members, you know, the husband comes home, or the, you know, he's got stuff to talk about, or the wife's complaining about the kids, or just, oh, it's just whining, whining. Did you ever, did you, whining, whining, whining. Did you ever watch Seinfeld? Someone said one time that Seinfeld is a, a sitcom about whining. That's all he ever do, you know? Jerry, and, you know, and they're victims, you know, you know, actually they're, they're a bunch of, Freaking idiots, you know, but but they feel like everything's against them. Everything is always going against them, all right. And it's whining about this and whining about that, you know. Listen, <clears throat> this is the place you should be shopping. Victims no more. That should be your target. Get it? Okay. So shop at Target exactly. So no no pain, okay. No matter how great is godless. I have a friend uh, who says, he's got a t-shirt that says, you know, no pain, what? No pain, no gain. All right? He's got a t-shirt that says, no pain, no pain. I know that's pretty deep for Santan Valley. <clears throat> oh, okay. So, no pain, no matter how great, is godless. God is always right there, okay? Godless pain, okay, when, when you say, I'm a victim, what you really are doing is you're, you're saying, well, God, God isn't in this, God can't deal with this, God isn't big enough, Jesus isn't Lord. What you're doing is you're, keep, you're closing the door on God. You say, well, I, this, I'm a victim. When you close the door on God, when you, when you ease God out of whatever you're going through, guess what? No God? What's, what's a one-word definition of the absence of God? Hell. People say, man, this, what I'm going through feels like hell. That's right. Unless you invite God into this, it's going to feel like hell. And you've all been there. Listen to this passage uh, in the Psalms. This is great. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, of course, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, and I think in the King James, it says in Hades or hell, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even if you, 
Even there, your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. That's fantastic. I mean, there's, you know, you're in church today. I would hope that you'd come to get a better perspective on the little and the big things that you're going through in life. To me, this is part of God's amazing, crazy plan because God really does have a plan. All things work together for good. They may not feel good. They may not look good. Um, it may not seem good. But in the end, somehow, when you invite God into something, God is there. And he can turn the darkness into light. Godless pain is hell. And we have to do everything we can. We have to do everything we can by faith to welcome God into our pain, to ask him for grace, for the strength to persevere, and for the wisdom to know what to do. God hardly will ever answer this question. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? There are two Japanese uh, citizens that were beheaded this week by ISIS. And their families, what do you think they're asking? Why this? Whenever there's a, a spectacular tragedy, it's why? How many of you have, uh, you know, I've asked this question here before, but how many of you have children? Are you, you're, you're raising children, you've raised children, or you've seen children? <laughs> All right. How many of you have told your children to do something or not to do something? What's the famous one-word question? Why? And so you actually try to explain that to them. Exactly. That's what it comes down to. Because you don't really need an explanation. You know, you explain it to them, you quote a Bible verse, you're really nice, you give them a hug. And through all that, it comes up to the one-word question, why, becomes a two-word question. But why? Right? The fact is that getting an answer to that question is never some, it, it never solves the problem. There are all kinds of unanswerable things that happen in life. And, you know, we think if we could only know why, the people who lost the family members on that plane that, that crashed in, in Indonesia recently, or the plane that disappeared, uh, the, the Asia, Air, Asia Air, was it Asia Airplane that, Malaysia Air that disappeared, over the, nobody has any clue where they are. And the families are going to be haunted by this for the rest of their lives. I told you the story of my friend Mark and his wife Christina who moved here to Arizona from the Bay Area because their youngest son Matt, their oldest son Matt was dying of, of asthma in this damp climate. So they moved to Arizona. A couple years after they moved to Arizona, he drowns in the Salt River. And Mark never tells his life story. I mean, it was 20 years ago. And that has so deeply marked him. And, you know, you want to ask the question, why or what, what could we do differently? It never satisfies our profound need. So wisdom from God is more like this. Okay, life is what it is. That's become one of my favorite Bible verses. It is what it is. People ask me, is that actually in the Bible? No. Okay. <laughs> but that's our memory verse today. Let's say it together. It is 
what it is. Now, what that says is that there's really no way to explain it. It is what it is. I heard a comedian say one time, it is what it is. We never say that when things go really well. You know, you win the lottery and, and you say, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is when something makes no sense and you don't know what to do about it. It is what it is. Pain happens. Say that with me. Pain happens. You, you know, this is a lesson for your teenagers, for your kids. Okay? Pain happens. God, you have a plan. So where do we go from here? That's God's plan. Some, we've got to do something to go forward. Remember this memory verse? If you ever drop your keys into a river of molten lava, remember this one? Let them go. Because, man, they're gone. You know? So you've got to move forward. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. I love this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. That would be like the most spectacular cold stone uh, six-dip sundae uh, with multiple toppings and, and, and almonds and coconut and chocolate fudge, you know. Consider it pure joy or for the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl for Seahawks fans, or, you know, for the Patriots. Consider it pure joy. What? Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the, because you know that the testing of your faith, we sang about this. And by the way, Samson, I'd love to reprise that song. You maybe have something else at the end, but, you know, maybe if you could reprise that song. I don't know if you saw these notes in advance. But that song is so good. You know, what does God do with the dust, man? He makes human beings. That's what he does. He turns, you know, he, you know, it turns our ashes in, into joy. And so um, consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, okay, big ones, little ones, painful ones, irritating ones, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You know, no pain, no gain. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If, and now, and, and this next verse is so good. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, in the Bible, wisdom is not like facts or being smart. It's about how to do life. In the Old Testament, it's a famous verse. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Anybody know what that goes in there? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the Hebrew, the Hebrew language, the word wisdom, you know, in our, in our context, you know, we have, you know, there's, you know, there's a pursuit of intellectual achievement. People want to get a college degree, and, you know, it's information and knowledge. Okay, in Hebrew... The word Hebrew, in Hebrew for wisdom is not about what's in your head. It's kind of what's in your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of life skill. So you turn to God, and God gives you life skill. He shows you how to deal with issues, how to deal with life, how to deal with yourself. So if, if uh, you know, count it all joy when you go through various trials. But if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do with it, ask God. And he will give it, he will give it to you. He will give you, you know, you talk to somebody else when you're confused. Man, I've written books. I've been a pastor for my whole life. I've got two seminary degrees. 
But I can't tell you how many times I've asked people. I, I got in touch with a good friend of mine. I was with him this last week. He was in Phoenix. Uh, he lives up in the Denver area. And I said, uh, I, and I, I need to run some things by you. And I, the same things, I, I contacted a friend of mine who lives in New York City. I said, I need to spend some time with you. And a third friend, I'm having breakfast with one of my very best friends right here in Phoenix because I don't know how to address some of the things, the decisions that I'm facing in my life. And so people who, who love God will also help you to know what to do. Um, so um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Far, this is the Apostle Paul. You want to say, well, Paul, he, he must not have a lot of faith because no one with a lot of faith would say this. There's this whole movement, you know, it's, you, you are what you say. And, you know, that's important to say the right things, but Paul is being really honest. It is what it is, he says, he says, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. That's pain. That's the Apostle Paul saying that. That's how hard life can become. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Um. I know this maybe isn't an appropriate uh, story to tell, but um, <clears throat> um, Conan O'Brien, you know, he, he had the Tonight, Show, the, the Tonight Show for a while. And then Jay Leno came back in and took over the show, and they, and they moved Conan off the show. And for one year, he was not allowed to do any media. You know, they paid him a big settlement, but he wasn't allowed to do what he just loves to do. He couldn't do any radio or television. He could do shows. And so they did a film, they did a film of Conan, you know, excerpts from this year when he couldn't do what he loved to do. It was torment. I mean, he had a lot of money, but it's not about the money. And, uh, and, you know, just the way he was removed and, you know, he's a, a very funny guy. And, and someone asked him, he, they asked him this dumb question. Have you been angry? And he said, I've been so angry that at times I can hardly breathe. You know, that, that's, you know Paul is talking about this here. Um, the pressure was so great. Uh, we, we, it was beyond our ability to endure it. And we despaired of life. And we felt the sentence of death in us. And then he, he goes on to say, indeed, our hearts were, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But... This happened that we might not, might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's a powerful but. But, he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, here's, here's, uh, here's how a lot of Christians deal with life, you know. You know, so you call your friend, you know, you're in a lot of pain. You feel the sentence of death and you call your friend and you're on the phone and, and they say, 
They say, remember what Pastor Gary said over this weekend? You know, you gotta, you, you can't be a victim. You've gotta trust God. You gotta believe that God has a plan in this somehow. That God's gonna give you wisdom and He's gonna carry you through. And you say, yeah, but this pain is more than I can bear. You know, it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, I know that, I know that Jesus loves me. I know God's in control. I believe the Bible, but, the Apostle Paul says, we despaired of life but God. It's a big difference. You know, some people just have their butts in the wrong place. It can make all the difference in your, you know, in your butt world, you know? You're going to get a new pastor soon. You won't have to, you won't have to deal with all this kind of vulgar stuff. Okay, so. Uh, it says, but God who raises the dead, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. He will continue to deliver us. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Um, you know, this is now about when you're the victim of others, okay? That's usually when we're victims. We're not just victims when the, when the tire goes flat. Um, or, or even, we're not just victims when some stranger cuts us off on the freeway. It's when the people closest to us cause us pain. That's the most difficult. Uh, have, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in, in, in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, I looked those words up in the Greek, anything, anyone, and I discovered something really powerful. It means, those words mean anything and anyone. Okay, it's like really simple. Okay. You know, what is Jesus? Is this hyperbole, Jesus? You know, this is like, you're exaggerating. If you hold anything against anyone, what? What does Jesus say? Forgive them. And he says, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins so that you may be forgiven. Um. <clears throat> This is, this last verse is the escape route. It is the escape route out of victim bondage and its forgiveness. Okay. Where you can forgive others, where you can even say to God, I forgive you. I have been profoundly angry with God at times in my life. I've yelled at God. And when you can get past that, and you can turn it over to God and believe that somehow, some way, all things are going to work together for good, it works magic in your life. So you can either say, I'm a victim, or I'm going to turn to God. I'm a victim, or I can turn to God. When you, when you say, I'm a victim, you turn away from God. And what, look what this says. It says, if you forgive others, God will forgive you. So if you trust God, you know, and you don't just say, I'm a victim, and you don't just hold unforgiveness in your heart, 
what happens is you are actually inviting God into your life. Forgiveness is a, a weapon. It is a, it is a weapon of, of warfare in life, of spiritual warfare. You know, though we live in the world, we don't solve problems the way the world does. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Instead, the weapons that we fight with, they're not carnal, but they are mighty through God, through the tearing down of strongholds. And one of those weapons is forgiveness. Forgiveness has extraordinary power because it releases the person that you have under a personal curse, and it releases you from the power that that person has in your life. The, uh, the Greek word translated forgive, aphiemi in Greek, it, it's, a, it's a simple, it's a word that means, it's really simple. In English, you know, we say, well, you've got to forgive that person. And honestly, I have no idea what the English word forgive means. You know, you say, well, you've got to forgive that person. And people right away go through all this stuff. Well, what does that mean? You know, do I have to forget about it? Do I have to love them as much as I loved them before? Can we be friends forever and not even remember this? You know, you know what? You know, how, how do I do this? The Greek word for forgive is like wildly simple. It means let it go. So if you hold anything in your heart against anyone, let it go. And that's something you can do over and over again. I got to let it go. Have you ever heard this let go and let God? It's not just giving up, but you're letting go because you're holding on to this and you're giving it to God and you're letting him hold on to you. Let go and let God. It was a, uh, this term was used of, of archery. So you pull back on the arrow and can you imagine someone standing, you know, they, they come to work and they're holding an arrow on, on a taut bowstring and they're holding it like this and they're saying, man, I got so much pain, you know, this is just killing me. I've been doing this for the last hour and a half and my arms are just on fire. What are you going to tell them? Let it go. Ah. <sighs> Let it go. Tell the person next to you, we had a message about this, didn't we? Tell them again, let it go, let it go, let it go. <clears throat> I can summarize the verse this way. Without, with, when you withhold forgiveness, you, you actually keep God out of the problem. And how does Jesus think about this? Look at this. He says, <clears throat> love your enemies. Luke 6, love your enemies. Do good to them. You know, if somebody gives, cuts you off on the freeway and, um, you know, gives you the finger, get their license number, find out where they live, and send them a Starbucks card. You know, I mean, you know this is so countercultural, right? Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Pick the, the enemy of your life. Think about how upset you are with them. And just ask them if they need to borrow any money from you. You say, well, that's, that's impossible. Now, if you think about Jesus, would Jesus have given money to his enemies? See? We are, this is so countercultural. But the point is not that you, know, you need to be a doormat. The point is that, the point is, that this is life-changing. It's a life 
life-changing, life-liberating response. Okay? Jesus says, Give, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. It's kind of like what God did when he sent his son. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he's kind to the, the ungrateful and the wicked. That would be us. That would be you. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You, you don't have to do this. You don't have to think and act like Jesus. You, do, you can be a victim if you want. You can let unforgiveness hang on your life like a dead skunk around your neck. Because that's what it does. There are people here, I'm, I'm going to guess that in a group this large, there are people here who have unresolved issues with people who are dead. But they still live in your soul. Because you've never let it go. And because they live in your soul, Jesus sort of controls you, but they also control you. And they also control the way you relate to other people. You can do that if you want. But it's the wide gate that leads to destruction. The narrow gate that leads to life is forgiveness. I don't have this mastered. Man, I want to hang on to stuff. Man, I want to hang on to stuff. I don't know. I think it makes me feel good. Are you kidding? It makes me feel worse. I mean, people ask me about my life, and I'll start telling them a story from like 25 years ago about how ridiculous my circumstances got, and I start feeling pressure in my chest. I got a guy, a uh, long-term member of our church. He was involved. He was an elder here at LifePoint for a while. They live up in Mesa, but he was driving down here. He and his wife, Debbie, had two boys, and their oldest son, Eric, was he was murdered. He was shot to death. They put him in, Some guys put him in the back seat of the car, his car, shot him. He bled to death in the car. They dumped his body in the desert. They drove the car to L.A. Uh, authorities, the authorities found the car, burned out in L.A. And two weeks later, they found Eric in the desert. What was left of him? You know, I, they don't have post-traumatic stress counseling for pastors, but some of the stuff that I've had to deal with in uh, walking with people, going to funeral homes, I mean, it's just it's dreadful. And I, when I, I did the service, I did the funeral. So what do you say? Why did this happen? You know, what do, How do you talk about that? And uh, the one memory that I have, I don't remember what I talked about, but it was in this uh, cemetery on, on Maine. There's, there's some buttes there. I think it's called Mountain View Cemetery. Some, you know, kind of close to Apache Junction. It might even be in Apache Junction. I can still remember standing there at the graveside and at the very end of the service, I, you know, I said, this concludes our service. And Debbie just went in to, she became hysterical. And she fell on Eric's casket. And she was, she was just screaming, I want to see my son one more time. I want to see my son one more time. And of course she couldn't. No one would want to give her that memory of his, of his remains. So Debbie and um, Paul and Debbie went to a support group. We had a big church, and we had people in our church that had all kinds of history and all kinds of situations. And 
we actually had a support group at our church. It was called Support for Parents of Murdered Children. Paul and Debbie went to that class. And there was a guy in that class who, he was red-faced. He's telling his story. He just, his face was on fire. His carotid arteries were pulsing. And uh, his daughter had been murdered 10 years before. And Paul looked at that guy and he said, God, help me. And he said, I do not want to become what this man has become. Why? He, he, why? You know, you, you, can, you can let it live in you. You cannot deal with it. You can carry it around and let it affect every relationship in your life, or you can give it to God. Here's my definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is determining in your heart, um, I think it's the next slide here. Forgiveness is a means. I'm uh, forgiveness. So I, did, I guess I, here's my the definition is there. Forgiveness is determining in your heart that you won't let the one who offended you make you a victim, and you do that by turning the person or the problem over to God. Forgiveness means I am a victim only if I choose to be a victim. Forgiveness means today I choose God. I think there's a slide for this one. I choose God because I know that when God is on my side, I'm not a victim. I'm more than a conqueror. Forgiveness means letting go of your right to retaliate and giving the person or problem to God and letting him solve it. Now, <clears throat> remember what Jesus said on the cross? You remember what Jesus said? Father, say it with me. For they give them. For they don't know what they're doing. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to close by talking about my elevator card. And I've, I've given, I don't know, 10 or 20,000 of these away through the years. Elevator card. Um, life is like an elevator. Before you pop up that, just let me talk about it in a minute. Life is like an elevator. Okay? It goes up. It goes down. Okay? So you get on the elevator, and the elevator represents a problem. And in, in this elevator of life, there's only up, there's only down, there are no floors. But you push, you push the up button, you know, you say, God has a plan, and up you go. You push the I'm a victim, and down you go. And you gotta, you gotta, and let's look at the elevator card here. Okay? Going up, God has a plan. Going down, I'm a victim. Now, you've got to kind of read the fine print here. You don't always see the fine print. Pop, just to click on the next one there, see if it comes, comes up. Is there a, <clears throat> go, click again, to hell. Okay, that's really where the button takes you because, you know, you're pushing God out of it. And, you know, you call, you, it feels like hell, doesn't it? And you know, you call your friend and you tell them how it feels like hell. And guess what? You get your friends on the elevator with you and you unload on them and you all get to go to hell together. Not when you die, right now, this afternoon, you can take your friends to hell with you. The absence of God. See? Or, what's the fine print on the going up button? Go to heaven. 
See? So I despaired of life. The pressures against me uh, were so great, I despaired of life. I felt the sentence of death. But what? But God. See? So uh, I've, got, I've got some cards, and we're going to give you these cards. We've printed up about 100. You know, that's 150. So some of you need more, uh, more than one card, you know. And um, so on the back, there's some Bible verses. There's a little elevator card. And you can put it, you know, you can put it on your dashboard so that, you know, when the guy cuts you off in the freeway, you can just be reminded, you know. You can go to hell with that guy or you can go to heaven, you know. Um, or, you know, some of you need one of these on your computer, you know. Um, some of these, some of you need one on your husband. So you can just put this on your husband, okay, <laughs> like that. So, uh, you know, when he gets in your face, yeah, <laughs> okay, you need one for the wife. Okay, we'll put one on the wife. And uh, any of you have a teenager, we have any teenagers here in this? Oh, yes, okay. We're going to put one on a teenager. All right, there you go. That's so your mom can see when you ask, why? Okay, she will push the God button. Okay, here you go, bro. All right, let's stand together. You know, this is a sermon you can remember forever. If you take a few of these cards, you can make copies of them if you want. Cut them out, paste them up everywhere. You know, if you have problem with, problems with your refrigerator, stick one on your refrigerator. <laughs> if your car is dying, put it on the steering wheel so you can just trust God. You know, it seems so simple, doesn't it? But how many of you know it's really hard? <laughs> Let's lift our hands to God, okay? Say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I reach out to you. I ask for you to forgive me as I forgive others. I'm not a victim. I'm more than a conqueror because you love me so much. You turn, uh, my, my, you turn my, my mourning into, into joy, my, my ashes. You take my ashes, my dust, and you make a new thing in it. Lord Jesus I pray for your release for your people in this place today. And we want to sing this song heartily because we believe it. Amen.